Hello, welcome lucky listeners to Culture Goes Pop episode 15. This week for the main event we'll be discussing the 35th anniversary of RoboCop. We'll also have some news coming at you. We haven't had a news segment in a while. My name is Scott Wilson and I'm joined by my host, co-host. Steve Strobridge. Welcome back, Scott. Welcome listeners. Good to be here. It's been a few weeks since we've done an episode. So I thought it'd be nice just to to catch up with each other because literally you and I have not really spoken too much and we haven't done a show together. So what have you been up to, Scott? <laughs> uh, well, I've been up to this, you know, the same old tricks. Uh, the my main thing is for the past two months or so, I've been going on an extended tour of '70s cinema because seven, the '70s are considered to be the most exciting and best era of movie making or filmmaking ever most uh modern filmmakers hold the 70s in very high esteem that was the decade of jaws star wars the exorcist the godfather the sting many many others those are just the blockbuster highlights there was also there were also a lot of gritty cop thrillers in that era like dirty harry like the laughing policeman a film called busting freebie and the bean which kind of set the template for a lot of the buddy cop comedies of the 80s. There's so much to go through in the 70s, and we could do 20 episodes on that and not even scratch the surface. Okay. But that's what I've been up to. All right, and ironically, too, I've been watching a lot of random things, but one of the things I just watched the other night was The Making of the Empire, which was kind of like the um, whole explaining the Star Wars trilogy, the first Star Wars trilogy that George Lucas created, you know, episodes four, five, and six. So it kind of went through all of that. And they kind of started off by saying, similar to what you were saying, um, the tone of the 70s was getting pretty gritty and pretty dark. And and so the Star Wars kind of uh, took audiences away from that by giving yes. them some fantasy. Um, so they did kind of mention that, that that was kind of how things were, and this kind of heralded in a new era of of cinema that wasn't as down-to-earth and depressing. <laughs> right. Well, there was a big cynicism going throughout the 70s due to the fallout from the Vietnam War and Watergate. People, the general public and artists, were both in a very uncertain place and that reflected itself in movies like the parallax view three days of the condor etc cetera, etc cetera, so on and so forth all right so that kind of segues into some of the stuff that uh, i've been doing these past few weeks so i did finish seeing all of season one of moon Knight. did you get a chance to finish that one scott that's still on my to-do list all right i will i will keep it at that i'll just say as a season, I, I enjoyed it. The whole thing wrapped up well, and and it was it paid off well. So I like that one. Also, finish Miss Marvel. Did you finish Miss Marvel? I have two episodes left. Okay, and once again, paid as it pays off. Great. Both you and I both had nothing but positive things to say about this as we were going through it, and I feel the show delivered. We'll just leave it at that. Um, I think I already mentioned this before, but I also finished watching season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is the story of Captain Pike, and uh, it's also got Spock in it, it's also got young cadet Uhura in it, so it's kind of a 
before the original series, leading into the original series, new series, and it's done very well. So that one, I really liked how that whole thing closed out. And then I kind of got the nostalgia fix for the cast of the original series. So I ended up binging all six of the original Star Trek movies, starting on Star Trek The Motion Picture. And while Star Trek The Motion Picture is probably the least favorite of the fans when you look at the nine or ten movies that they ended up making, um, what I will say um, is, number one, it started off the movie franchise. So we have to give it credit for that. That was the first time we saw these characters again on screen together in over 10 years because the original series, you know, ended around 67, 68. This movie didn't come out till 77, 78. So it was 10 years where we had nothing but reruns. So to see new content with that cast was uh, was a gift from God, um, number one. Number two, if you are a subscriber to Paramount Plus, they have a director's cut now that's been literally just remastered this year in 2022. It's all 4K, ultra high definition, uh, remastered from the original negatives, and they cleaned up the visual effects. Um, so they made the visual effects look perfect and not all film grainy and all the composite traits. It's kind of like the Star Star Wars special edition, how they kind of cleaned up special effects. So they kind of remastered the visual effects with high definition, high resolution stuff. They might have even done a CGI swap for all. No, it doesn't look CGI. It still looks good, but everything is super clean and super pristine. So if you want to see that movie, um, you know, there's an old saying that says you can't polish a turd. Well, this is the shiniest turd you'll ever see for two hours. So um, I would suggest watching it just to see how well they remastered it. But I watched all six of those movies. And there's a there's kind of a saying where they say that the Star Trek movies, it was the even ones that were good, like the two, the four, the six, right? So uh, the Wrath of Khan, uh, the Voyage Home, and then the Undiscovered Country. They say those are the even number of ones were the best. But when you watch them all especially when you watch them like day after day after day and you watch the whole thing in about a week's time, I feel they flow very well. And I don't really have very many gripes with any of them, especially now, you know, when we get into the news, we're gonna, you know, we're, we're losing all the cast members. And so there's so few left. So if you're nostalgic for the franchise and, and nostalgic for the characters and the actors who played those characters, this is, you know, this is unfortunately some of the last times they're all together when they're still alive, you know. Uh, and it's, it's just good entertainment. So I, that's one of the things I did. And if you wanted to chat to that, your eyes are moving like you're thinking. <laughs> well, I can remember seeing the original Star Trek, the motion picture, when I was very small and being very bored by it. So I would be interested in you know looking into it again to see if my tastes have changed in over 40 years yeah it hasn't gotten any more exciting so it's a legacy piece and you have to look at it like that and the story like i say it's it's the same turd it's just a now a shiny turd <laughs> so the, the action isn't any better it's a long drawn out thing um but visually it's 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 much easier on the eyes that way um and it's it's just a great way to to kick off the whole franchise of 10 movies um also, after we did our last two episodes of um, the sequel Strikes Back and we, we all kind of weighed in on our opinions, you know, Alan really got me thinking about some of these movies. So I had actually ordered 
the Alien Quadrilogy, and I watched all the director's cuts of those, and then I ended up getting the six-movie set of all the Terminator stuff on Blu-ray, so I kind of rewatched all those franchises just to see if my opinions would improve, and I'm happy to say that they did. But I think we'll save that discussion for maybe a follow-up discussion when we can get Alan back on. Um, but needless to say, some of my, because things were faded over time, memories, and just having another opinion opened my mind to wanting to look at it again, I, I would say for the most part, after rewatching all 10 of those movies, I pretty much liked them all with the exception of, of uh, Terminator 3. <laughs> I still stand by my original assessment of that. It was a movie that never needed to be made. Um, and then the last thing I did this last week, which is why we didn't do a show, was I was in Georgia with my family doing a family reunion. So in a nutshell, that's what I have been up to. Uh, so we're caught up now, Scott. You feel good? I feel great. You know about me. I know about you. We're ready to move on to the topic of the week. Yes, sir. All right. Take it away. Well, the topic of the week is the 35th anniversary of RoboCop. And this movie is very near and dear to my heart. This was the first R-rated movie that my mother ever took me to see. And I was way too young for it. And if you can think of what, uh bulldozer of an introduction this movie was for r-rated films i can tell you i wasn't prepared for it but i was happy when it was over and not because the movie was bad but because the movie surpassed my expect my 10 year old expectations the movie blew right past them i saw the tv ads and i fell in love with it and i was like i have to see this i originally thought it was an adaptation of a marvel comic based on a toy called rom space knight Oh, yeah, I remember that. I have those comics still. Yes, and I thought that's what it was at 10 years old. Okay. And my mother, I don't think she paid attention to the rating because, as has been said by many of the people behind the film, a lot of people dismissed it at the time because the name RoboCop sounded silly. It sounded like a kid's film or something. Okay. I, I think that's what my mother was thinking. I, I know that she was disabused of that notion probably a few minutes into the movie once the f-bombs started flying and you know some of the blood was spattering everywhere but for whatever reason she trusted my 10 year old mind to handle it and i could gush about this all day steve i could go on and on and on and on for hours about robocop and how i feel about it but it's just it's one of those seminal films for me i was at the right time the right age the right era everything was just perfect and i'm glad to see that this film has stood the test of time and seems to actually get better and seem more prescient as time goes on you know, know what uh, well just as, as when you mentioned this is what you wanted to talk about today I, it's it just started racing through my mind and and i did try to see if i could find it on streaming and unfortunately I, I couldn't find it on pirate streaming, <laughs> but I tried to find it on the half a dozen legitimate streams that I do pay for, and I couldn't get it without either having to rent it or buy it on uh, Amazon Prime, or I'd have to subscribe to Showtime, even if I got you know a ten day free trial. I'm like, ah, I'm not going through because I did want to. I did want to refresh my memory on it to talk about it uh, uh, a little bit better. But what I will say is that the, when you mentioned that, the things that were going through my mind where there's so many similarities to this to the other two franchises we recently talked about right. with the uh, Terminator and um, Alien, right? And um, it was a movie that it just came out of nowhere. 
It wasn't a movie that was planned to be a franchise or a trilogy or a string of sequels. It just was made. It was kind of the old school adage of, hey, this seems like a good idea for a movie. Let's just make it and let's just hope it doesn't suck and let's hope we make some money in the box office, you know? And it just turned out to be... As you know, would would we would find out? It's a huge cult classic. I don't know what the. Do you have the box office in front of you? Did you pull up the Wikipedia on it? I'm looking at it right now, sir. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think I may have a spare copy of it laying around that I could give to you. Okay. Oh, which by the way, I have I have the other two Blu-rays you gave me to watch, <laughs> and I tried watching them. I'm like, why did you want me to watch these again? Because these were horrible movies. The uh, the Raid and the Raid Two. I tried watching the Raid, and I'm like, oh my god. Other than the fact it's got guns and martial arts, it's completely unwatchable. Even with the guns and martial arts, I'm like, really? Yes, I couldn't watch. I I forced myself to watch it. I just I couldn't get into it. Sorry. Okay, well, that's a that's a convo for another time. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd gladly borrow your RoboCop, and, and I'll I'll, tr- I'll 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 trade you two Raid Blu-rays that are yours for a different Blu-ray that's yours. Um, okay. Um, well, I'm looking at the the budget was thirteen point seven million. Okay. The the domestic box office. They don't have the worldwide figures here. The domestic box office was fifty three point four. So. This made about a good three, four times. Its okay, back. which is what which is what you want a movie to do, and if- so, yes, it made made three. Well, I I, I can't do the math. Off right, the top right, of right. But more than more than three times that. Yes. Which is which is your minimum break even was what you were saying before, right? So, and that doesn't include uh, worldwide box office. That doesn't include merchandising. That doesn't include home, you know, television airings and you know, uh, cable and then home video, all that kind of stuff. So, needless to say, it did okay financially. Again, g- getting back to Alien, the first Alien and the first Terminator Two are rated, graphically violent, but a sci-fi movie again this is the this was you know you're talking about the 70s being some of the golden age for cinema but the 80s were the golden age for r-rated you know kind of indie sci-fi geeky movies that were done really really well you know it's you're hard pressed to find r-rated stuff anymore um because you want to get that pg-13 get as many butts in the theater as you can you know sell the tickets thing well, famously, when the director, Paul Verhoeven, uh, who also did Total Recall and Starship Troopers, which is often now considered to be part of a one-two punch with RoboCop, because and this brings me into one of the things I want to talk the most about RoboCop is that it is one of the rare, quote unquote, like you said, quote-unquote geek properties or action films that is multi-layered. It also functions as, everybody knows, a corporate satire. Yes. And in that regard, it kind of gave us a little glimpse of what we were in for over the next 35 years. I would say that a lot of things in that movie now that were played for laughs in 1987 don't seem so funny now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, Paul Verhoeven famously, he had been doing... He's Dutch, I believe, and he had been doing movies in Europe. He came over to America. The script was offered to him. He read the title and did not want to even bother with the script. I think he even tossed it, and his wife took it out and looked at it and said, No, there's more here. You may want to look into this. I think this might be good for you. 
and Verhoeven, his sensibilities were pretty funny. He was very taken aback by how when he got to America, and excuse me for being long-winded, but again, RoboCop is something I could gush about for <laughs> a millennia. Uh, he was taken aback by how an Am- American seemed to like everything big and more. You can't just have a pickup truck. You have to have a huge pickup truck. You can't just have violence. You have to have over-the-top violence. So he was, in a sense, making fun of audiences by how much... American audiences in particular, by how much violence he put in there. So much so that I don't know if you've ever seen... Which version of the film have you seen? Have you seen the director's cut or the original? The only one I remember seeing was the original. Okay, you're in for a real treat if I can find that disc because Murphy's murder, which is already gruesome in the film, is extended in the director's cut because the, the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association, forced him to take out a certain amount of gore. And, it's, and when I say extended, it's extended. <laughs> uh, the, the corporate executive, the young executive who gets blown away during the test of Ed 209 yeah, yeah. Is, is also an extended sequence where Ed 209 keeps shooting for about twice as long as he does in the theatrical. Okay. Verhoeven meant it to be funny. And he was very angry when the MPAA made him cut it because he said, you're making it more horrific. Now it just plays like a standard killing. Right, but the way that he had it playing, after the executive is already down, he falls on the model of Delta City. Ed Two Hundred Nine is still unloading, still dumping on him, <laughs> and his body's getting ripped apart. And uh, again, I could go on and on, but the movie was notorious for its violence, and Verhoeven got that reputation. If you remember, Total Recall was very violent. Starship Troopers was very violent, but Starship Troopers kept alive the satire. Starship Troopers is basically a propaganda film. Right. Want to know more? Right. Yeah. Before we had the interactive TV that we have now. Want to know more? You know, click here. It's just like, uh, yeah. So, so one of the things I love about Verhoeven's style and RoboCop and Starship Troopers in particular, these are action sci-fi properties that have a working brain. That have a working brain. It's not just about what it is on the surface. They're asking you, do you? Do both of these movies are saying in one way or another, do you want to know more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is the dystopian future, which is played out in sci-fi so many different ways. But I think this one does it well. New Detroit, you know what the hell happened to old Detroit? Right, old Detroit is a it is a burned down ghetto, right? So we have new Detroit. Um, the, the it's really interesting the 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 dynamic between uh, Murphy and RoboCop and. Some of the subtleties where she sees him twirling the gun um, before, yes. you know, and, you know, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And so some of the tells where she realized were, were who he was before um, those kind of things. Uh, the, the brutality of the headshot where, you know, they just like, dude, screw you. You know, it was like shotgun blown away his arms, head, you know, yes. point blank headshot to the temple. You know, these guys were some gruesome cop killers, some real scumbags. And, um, and, and yeah, the infor- and it was, again, just, just so many going back to the Alien and uh, Terminator at the time, mostly practical effects. You know, the whole RoboCop suit was an outfit. I remember seeing interviews with Peter Weller, like on Johnny Carson's, where he talked about how he had to kind of learn to do the miming and pantomiming and, and do the robot, so to speak. Um 
the enforcement droid 209 was stop motion and it was somewhat obvious that it was stop motion but it worked for the film and we were we were accustomed to seeing stop motion at that point in time so it wasn't it wasn't out of place for cinema of the 80s but it was an interesting it kind of reminds me of an electric razor too the enforcement droid it looks like an old yes. yeah electric razor with legs you know um but yeah that whole idea of the kind of um career climbing backstabbing everybody's trying to get a wait for somebody else to screw up so i can get my chance to succeed you know all of that skullduggery going on so you talk about the corporate corruption but even the corruption inside the corporation itself and how everybody's trying to screw over somebody else and one up the other person to advance their own careers and agendas in a way again kind of done as lampoon and as comedy but it's just, it, it's so real it is so very real um it was it was very much satire at the time uh, presented intended to be satire but you look at it now it's extremely poignant and you know the, the so you know some of the lines you know dead or alive you're coming with me and uh, and the, the guy the little tv clip i'd buy that for a dollar you know that whole thing that kept coming up uh and that show, that that show that I, I I don't even know if the show had a name in the movie, <laughs> but it, it's kind of showing you how, as the the city is falling apart around them, everybody is entranced by this brain dead sitcom, whatever it is, but which you know, would like, become reality TV, which would become yes. your Kardashians and your Honey Boo Boos and all that kind of crap. You know? right. so. <laughs> and one word you mentioned, Peter Weller. Yes. One word about the great Peter Weller who gives. He really gives, I think, an underrated performance in this because a lot of humanity comes through. Yeah, especially when he's got the the helmet on and you can't even see his eyes. And but Mr. Weller, the shooting of this film, the behind the scenes story, this was a harrowing shoot for all involved. It was not easy. I think they were in summer in Houston, which was standing in for Detroit, and it was rough, hundred degree weather every day. Peter Weller was losing a certain amount of pounds every time he put that suit on. Wow. He was working with a mime coach before the suit, I think, was made or before he actually got into it because they, the idea was they wanted RoboCop to move almost snake-like. And then Peter Weller got in the suit and realized none of the training he used is going to work because the suit is too clunky and too heavy. So they had to redo that. At one point, Peter Weller quit because him and Paul Verhoeven, just various things going on. It was just such a rough suit shoot. And Peter Weller was also suffering from alcoholism and insomnia wow during the shoot and there's a photo i have now on my facebook as my uh avatar as my profile picture of peter weller in the robocop suit playing jazz trumpet which he plays in real oh life. i remember seeing that yeah yeah yes, that's a that's a real shot and okay. verhoven said verhoven, paul verhoven said that was one of the more pleasant things is that sometimes he would come in and he would see peter weller when he wasn't feeling all that great he would just break out the trumpet and start playing in in costume in character and but it, i mean you look at peter weller's performance whatever he was suffering at the time i don't know if he used it or what but it worked whatever he did worked yeah yeah i would definitely say an underrated performance the human peter weller as what was i remember murphy was his partner what was his name <laughs> i'm drawing a blank what was robocop's name alex j murphy was his full oh he was name. murphy who was his yeah. partner's name the, the the female oh boy, cop. let me call that up. As somebody for somebody that's seen the movie, and I think Lewis is her name. I'm going to confirm or not confirm that right now. 
Let me see the cast list. Cast list. Ann Lewis. Ann Lewis yeah. was the actress, but what was the character's name? Or is that the character's no, name? That's the character's okay, name. Okay, Lewis. So, so Murphy, Peter Weller played Murphy, and his partner was Lewis. Yes, and that was, as a kid, another thing. As a kid, aside from Ellen Ripley, that was one of the first sort of tough female heroes I had yeah. ever seen in a yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm sorry, you were going to make a point. I don't remember. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, but just, uh, and uh, also a shout out to Kurtwood Smith, who before that 70s show, I grew up knowing him as Clarence Boddicker. The bad guy. One of the meanest yeah, bad guys. Yeah, the one I who think. killed Murphy, the one who headshotted him, right, point blank. Yeah. But he, but but again, this is sort of, you know, again, none of these, these roles, some of these roles aren't necessarily the deepest or have the most depth or, you know, flesh for them to, for these actors to bite their teeth into but I feel like Kurtwood Smith really you know he we really did the most with what he had and he really turned that character he made that character something more memorable than it probably would have right, been Right right yeah he to this day he is one of the evilest SOBs in cinematic history just because of how cold-blooded he was yeah so I I was getting the names confused too so Lewis was his female partner, and he was Murphy, right? Yes. So what I was going to say was when Peter Weller was basically still playing Murphy, he had a lot of good, like you say, subtle nuances in his performance. And then when Peter Weller's playing RoboCop as well, you talk about how, you know, when especially when you're trying to act with the helmet on and the visor and all you can see is the mouth, it's kind of like a Batman cowl, you know, um, to be able to perform kind of robotish at first, and then kind of peeling back the layers where he's starting to remember, well, I was something before I was this robot in the whole nine yards. And so how Lewis kind of helps Murphy regain some of his humanity was kind of cool. Um, yeah, a great, great movie. I, again, because of our age difference, I was probably in my late teens or, you know, nineteen twenty when I saw it. But again, and anything like this that would come out that was like a predator or a terminator or an alien type movie those were the movies i jumped to go see in the theater because it was sci-fi and i'm a sci-fi nerd you know but i remember just seeing it and being so entertained uh, so blown away by just how cool it was how gritty it was and so many kind of similarities between this and the other kind of franchises we talked about where the first movie kind of just kicked the gate open and I would also probably argue that the sequels probably didn't carry the momentum or the integrity of things. I think RoboCop 2 still had Peter Weller. Uh, I remember it having to be dealing with some type of crazy drug or something. And then RoboCop, yeah, and then RoboCop 3 just had somebody else. Peter Weller's like, nah, you can't pay me enough to be in this. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it was, you know, he probably didn't enjoy being in that suit. But, yeah. Uh, I remember 2 and 3 were written by Frank Miller, I believe. Which is interesting because a lot of people feel that RoboCop, the original, borrowed some of its imagery and ideas from The Dark Knight Returns. There's some similarities there. In The Dark Knight Returns, you have a lot of media breaks. You have a lot of news commentary on what's happening, being like the Greek chorus or just, you know, just the news media reporting what Batman is doing. Okay. And in and in RoboCop, one of the most memorable things about it is that news, those newscasters and those newscasts they keep sort of punctuating the film with. Uh, I, and nobody can prove 
you know, I don't I don't think there's any way to prove whether or not the movie took that from there. Either way, it was very effective. Uh, but Frank Miller ended up writing the second film and the third film. Uh, yeah, the second film I think it did well internationally, not so good here. It made less money than it was. It was more expensive than the first and made less money domestically. Okay. But inter- internationally, it did good. The third one I can't remember. The third one is just erased from my mind. That didn't forgettable. Happen. It was forgettable, huh? Didn't happen. And and then so you know there was the reboot in 2014, which wasn't terrible. Kind of like the reboot of Total Recall. It you know they kind of put their own spin on it. Kept some of the um, kind of core. Of the legacy, but you know, kind of for a new audience. I didn't hate it. I don't. I obviously didn't. It wasn't good enough to spin off a, a, a franchise, but it was a good one-off movie. Kind of captured captured the core of what the movie was about. The original. It was. It wasn't terrible. I didn't, I didn't find it terrible or offensive, but it's just so forgettable. You know, compared to that original film. I mean, like that original film is just such a hard act. To follow, it's one of those things that only really works once, I believe. You know, I think you could probably still do a decent TV show or cartoon with the character. You know, something ongoing in that way. Right. But I think as far as movies, though, I mean, Paul Verhoeven just really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. You know, and again, I could go on so long about this because i mean i know that movie by heart i know it back to front i know the lines of dialogue i know the shots i know the score by basil polidorus i believe the gentleman's name is who also did the score for conan the barbarian okay it's good pedigree yeah and it's just a when you listen to it i mean it's you know this movie is not really known for its score but when you listen to the score, like, like you know, when you when, I'm, when I find this copy of it and give it to you, yeah. just listen, as a guy who's into music, just listen to that score. It's okay. a really great score. And uh, I don't know what else to say. The only other little thing I can probably say is the movie also, the design of RoboCop with the helmet, it takes, I think, some inspiration from Judge Dredd. Okay, which had not been on screen. Anyway, not, not yet, but no. it's and if you read the Judge Dredd comic, I think the the movie, the screenplay, the guys who wrote it, uh, Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner. Okay, I don't know if they've ever admitted to this, and I I could be wrong about it, but I think that the movie itself takes inspiration from Judge Dredd, not just the costuming of RoboCop, but if you ever read a Judge Dredd comic, there's a lot of satirical things in that comic about ideas of law and order and justice and Americans and our preoccupation with violence. That was something that Judge Dredd is also was born. I think it's a British comic. A lot of European artists, I think at that time were very kind of fascinated and puzzled by Americans and our bloodlust. And I think it comes across in things like this. Okay. You know, it's interesting you mentioned something earlier, too, where you said you thought this was a movie based on Rom Space Knight. And it's an interesting side note there. I remember the Rom Space Knight toy, and I wouldn't mind having one now for collectability, but it wasn't the most amazing action figure to ever come out in that time period. But it did spawn a whole bunch of Marvel comics. And, and, you know, it was interesting that a lot of times toys... 
um, the the kind of marketing tie into a toy was either you had a cartoon, like He-Man toys and action figures were all about selling the cartoon, or the cartoon was about selling the toys. Um, so Marvel was really good at jumping in and doing series on popular toys. So Rom Space Knight, and back when I was still collecting comics, I did collect most of those, and I still have all of the original ones that I had gotten at that time and bought you know years later. So I think I've got a fairly complete collection of the Rom Space Knight still all in the bags sealed up. It was a decent comic book to read, um, but I was trying to get something because when you know when you get in when you're a child of the 70s or the 80s there's no way you can start off on issue one of spider-man that's been out for 10 20 years already right so whenever something came out where i was able to jump in on issue one and try to start collecting I, that was a fun thing to do you know as a as a kid so I did collect the ROM comic books, and ROM was based on a toy. So where I'm going with this is, do you recall, were there any um, RoboCop toys or action figures? Because I honestly don't remember them. We, you know, we talked about how they made a toy of the alien <laughs> for kids to play with. And so making a toy based on an R-rated movie has, has been done. Do you recall any RoboCop toys? Okay, here's where it gets really interesting. Yes, Steve. Okay. There RoboCop toys. <laughs> there was a RoboCop cartoon in 1988, put out by I think the same company. I think it was Sunbow that Marvel used to do that used to do their cartoons through in the 80s, like Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, okay. Incredible Hulk. Okay. And and it's just an, an example of again, you know, a movie like RoboCop. It's so weird because this is clearly something that kids at the time would want to see clearly but it's not something they should ever see right <laughs> <laughs> so you know i was one of the lucky ones i guess but yeah i can't believe and it, it wasn't just alien there was police academy had a cartoon and action figures at one point in time now everybody remembers how goofy the police academy academy movies were yes i just recently watched the first one which was rated r you can't don't show a kid that, especially now. <laughs> so it's, but that that was that's something Hollywood is kind of. I think, especially since the you know starting with maybe Alien, has been has been doing. It's just RoboCop is not a kids' film, right? So yeah, I don't remember a huge line of RoboCop action figures or vehicles or. Uh, toys or models because I used to like to build models and stuff too I did have a model of the Xenomorph made by Ravel or one of those model companies I remember putting that thing together gluing it together and all that kind of stuff um, yeah but yeah I feel that that it's just ironic that we just got done talking about movies so similar to this and this kind of it's all around the same time and there's so many parallels to this one movie lightning just struck in a way that has resonated and lasted for so long and the subsequent sequels did not necessarily do the legacy justice but they did try to milk the cash cow at least two more times and there were some tv series that came out in the 90s because I, I was trying to find it on pirate streaming so when i looked for robocop i was surprised to see how many other versions of yes. robocop have ex existed even like into 2002 um there was some robocop stuff so uh, it's been they've been trying to you know recapture that magic put that genie back in a bottle i don't think it's happened yet uh but definitely what, what's the what's the term you used for the seminal film is that the term yes. you used? i like that term 
That word's not usually rolling off my tongue, but I would have to agree with you. The original Robocop was a seminal film. Um, awesome. Do we want to put a fork in that topic, in that discussion? I think we better, because like I said, I'll be, this podcast will last nine hours if <laughs> I keep going. So. Let me talk about what's going on on what's on our podcast listenership right now. Because um, I just happened to pull this up. I'm not sure if you can see my shared screen, Scott. But our audience has grown to other parts of the world. So obviously, um, United States is where we're based out of. We have 79% in the United States. Canada, 14%. Japan, 2%. Costa Rica. Who would have thunk somebody in Costa Rica would have found us? Italy, Australia, United Kingdom, Netherlands, and France. So we are gaining a global audience. So I want to say thank you to everybody literally around the world right now who has listened to our show. Um, That's kind of cool, right? Yes, it is. Very cool. And for the longest time, our most listened to episode was episode two, which is talking about Moon Knight episode two. That's now finally been usurped by episode seven, talking about... James Bond. So now episode seven is our most listened to episode at the moment. And we're only on episode 15. So we're still a fairly new uh, program. But uh, I do periodically like to watch that. So our number one listened to show right now, episode seven. Our number two listened to episode is episode two. And then coming in at number three was episode eight with Top Gun, Obi-Wan and more. So, yeah, it's interesting to look at these numbers from time to time. The numbers are, our our listen counts are still pretty low, so we're not going to get any inflated egos. But we do appreciate the fact people are listening, especially around the world. So that's probably worth mentioning. Yes, well, it's good to see. It's good to see. And hopefully our listeners, you know, as, as people go back and listen to some of our older shows, will make this particular show the most listened to one because it's about RoboCop. Yeah, would right. That do me just fine. That would do you just fine. That was Yeah, RoboCop was, was definitely your segment this week. So that was your baby. I think we need to start off the news by saying goodbye to a cinema and American icon. Shell Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura, did pass away. Um, so July 30th, it was her passing. She was born December 28th. 1932 played lieutenant uhura later would be known as commander or captain uhura i know she got promoted throughout the years in the movies and whatnot um but uh, an american icon a television icon cinematic icon for for so many reasons and and it's it seems so sad that we have to point out that it was significant to have a woman of color on primetime television Something that we should be taking for granted and should just be, we shouldn't have to talk about the fact, but the fact that in the 60s, this was uncommon. And so for her to be, um, you know, a, a woman, which is still considered a minority, and a woman of color, which is considered almost to be like a double minority, but to have a prominent role on a spaceship, on television, um, was definitely a role model for America, for women, for women of color. And she has, she's kind of just maintained kind of like a Michelle Obama, just somebody who just, you, you look at them and they just carry themselves with so much dignity and pride. 
and somebody that people can look up to. I feel like, you know, I don't know how to put it any more eloquently. I know you're much better wordsmith than I am, but I'm stating things that were probably obvious, probably shouldn't need to be said, but we're going to say them because it's still important. Um, so I just want to say rest in peace. And, you know, I've really enjoyed seeing and knowing Lieutenant Uhura all these years as being a Star Trek fan, and she will truly be missed. Take it away, Scott. Yeah, definitely rest in peace. I mean, a pioneer in so many ways. I mean, Star Trek itself was a pioneering TV show in the sense that could be considered... I don't know if there was ever... If there's a starting point for geekdom, but I would, I would think that Star Trek being on television could be a good marker for said starting point. Um, because so many things you wouldn't have without Star Trek and that she was a part of that and she got in on the ground floor. And not only by being a black cast member, I think it was the first interracial kiss on First television. interracial kiss on television, yeah. Was on, was on Star Trek and she was a part of that. And she's also in... As my tour of the 70s she's in this really great and overlooked black exploitation film called truck turner that stars isaac hayes who also did the music for it she's the villain or one of the villains i believe in really? that movie. isaac she's, hayes chef from south park <laughs> yes isaac hayes he was he uh apparently he decided he didn't want to just do the music for shaft he wanted to be shaft after a while okay so, but it's, it's it's a fun little black exploitation film. Again, not for kids. Don't watch it around your kids. But it's you know, but Nichelle Nichols is in it, and yeah, you know she was a she was a crew member of the Enterprise, a black American woman who was a crew member of the Enterprise. It doesn't get more pioneering than that. Right now, I also follow George Takei, who is Sulu. Um, and George Takei has been very much into activism, uh, more notably in the since the time of social media with Twitter and everything else. But um, he's been into activism and causes and, and like kind of local politics and stuff ever since he retired from the original run of the original series. Um, and and Nichelle has been a friend of his for a long time. And one of the things he wrote, which was much, which I felt was just, it was very endearing, but it was probably too long to read. But he, one of his memories was meeting her. Um, and at a time, he was mentioning how, um, how black women were kind of ironing and crimping and straightening their hair because that was the look in the late 60s, early 70s. And when he met her, how she just had this nice, full, round afro. And he just remembered that being just kind of a, a sign of her character. Like, this is who I am, and this is my hair, and I'm proud of my hair, and I'm proud of how I look, and I'm not going to try to, you know, do all kinds of weird stuff to my hair to, to look like a white girl, you know? And she was just proud of who she was and was kind of saying it without saying it. And that was one of his many fond memories of, of knowing her, and how she was so great with causes and charities and things. Um, and, and interestingly enough, when I was talking about Strange New Worlds, which is the new series. And they now have a young actress playing Cadet Uhura, who's literally just out of Starfleet. The actress as well met with Nichelle and also says, listen, I just want to have my natural hair. I'm not going to do the wigs or the weaves or anything else. I'm going to have my natural kind of short Afro-ish hair. Um, just making that bold statement. 
and um, to which is kind of what Lieutenant Uhura did on that show. So the young Uhura now is is kind of echoing that, which I think is a very nice kind of homage to that. Uh, another thing here it does mention is that um, Nichelle was also working with NASA to promote diversity in recruiting astronauts, not only but not only female astronauts but also women of diversity too. So just kind of blazing the, the the trails there to make sure that the astronaut program wasn't just a good old boys club of uh, white males, you know. Um, so that was kind of cool. Uh, Star Trek has had so many influences, like the first space shuttle was called Enterprise. We've had aircraft carriers called Enterprise, you know. It's just uh, the influence that they've had. But yeah, so this is really a bittersweet passing I think we're probably going to talk in circles here pretty soon, so I don't want to disrespect it, but I felt it was really worth talking about. And you, you want to close out anything talking about the passing there, Scott? Uh, I can't really think of much of anything else. Like I said, I mean, pioneering, you define pioneering, being a crew member on the Enterprise during the original Star Trek series. That says it, that says it all. I mean, she was a yeah. part of ground zero for geekdom right right and the kind of message of the original series was that of diversity and inclusion because there were so many it was basically taking every kind of archetype and stereotype and kind of putting the united nations on that bridge where we had uh, a you know Chekhov was russian and we were at odds in the cold war with russia you know sulu was japanese and we had just gotten not too long past world war ii where we were at war with japan i'm surprisingly they didn't have a german of, of all the different races that they should have had but you know a person of color who were not you know color you know people of color were not um um as uh, equal rights as, as everyone else so having all these different mixes of characters on the enterprise which was kind of showing this is what we hope the future will be like right um so that was kind of the the message then and and luckily that message continues to carry forward with star trek the um just you know kind of talking about hope and if you watch some of the newer star treks they are getting into um, kind of more gender fluid characters and things like that, which is now more topical of what we're dealing with. Again, just inclusion, diversity and inclusion, that no matter what uh, people in the society or status quo might think of you, how you should or should not fit in, in the world of Star Trek, we recognize everybody equally, right? And so I think they're still carrying that legacy forward that was started way back when. So... Rest in peace. Rest in thank, peace. Thank you for everything. Thank you for all your contributions. Yeah, and it's ironic, as I mentioned, I was re-watching and re-binging the first movies. She was not, she was still with us when I was watching those movies. So I kind of closed out watching the first six movies probably not long before she passed. So uh, kind of poignant for me, too, a little bittersweet there. Um, continuing the uh, topic of Star Trek, uh, so San Diego Comic-Con just wrapped and a lot of Star Trek stuff was being discussed there, including some panels. And so Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart um, were talking about Picard Season 3. Gates McFadden is who plays Dr. Crusher. So she's going to be in Season 3. So I've enjoyed Season 1 and 2 of Picard. And the third one is going to be the final one. So it's going to be interesting to see. Each season has been kind of a love letter to one of the iconic characters of the next generation. So like Season 1 was kind of a love letter to Data. Season 2 was a love letter to Q. So it's possible that Season 3 might be a love letter to uh, 
Beverly Crusher. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. Uh, I haven't even watched the teaser clip. Another great series that's on uh, Paramount Plus is one that's called The Lower Decks. It's actually animated. So if you can imagine the kind of style of the family guy or something like that, but with Star Trek characters. And it's really good. It's really well written. It's really funny. And supposedly they're going to have a crossover of the lower decks in season three of Strange New World. So that'll be interesting to see how they do that, how they're going to cross over live action and animation, and how they're going to play that off. But if anybody can do it, um, Star Trek can. You know who Patton Oswalt is, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So he's going to be doing voiceovers for Star Trek Picard and now something called The Sandman. Um, so Patton Oswalt's in the news that he's going to be doing some stuff. And uh, so there's a handful of Star Trek things that were being discussed uh, this year at the San Diego Comic-Con. So, um, you know, Star Trek's still very much alive and well and still going strong thanks to streaming services. And I'm not sure if we'll ever see anything on the theater again from Star Trek, but that would be interesting. See that it, well, maybe the Star Trek Four, the next J.J. Abrams movie, that'll be in the theaters at some point in time, um, which they are going to do. Oh, so they're giving J.J. another turn it back. Yeah, yeah, Trek. that's okay. supposedly going to happen. Um, we did talk about this briefly when we watched the teaser trailer when it first came out, but Prey is a prequel to the first Predator that starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this one takes place a few hundred years in the past with a Native American. And I just kind of pulled up this really quick review from IGN. They give it an overall score of an eight. Um, they say that it focuses on the lead character, Nauru, and that means that the supporting roster comes off a little wooden, but when Prey's tracking the young warriors duel with the Predator, full of powerful imagery and creative kills, it rarely falters. So they overall give it a rating of an 8 for Prey. And that was going to come out on Hulu, if I don't, if I, if I do remember. My memory's failing me in my old age. Uh, yes, Hulu on the 5th. Right. So this is going to be a feature film that's going to air exclusively on Hulu. It's going to be a Hulu movie, not a streaming series. So I, I definitely look forward to seeing that. Um, me too. There is now a, uh, I mentioned I finished watching Miss Marvel. You and I both agreed that we both really enjoyed it. And yes. you're a few episodes behind. But according to comicbook.com, Miss Marvel ends as Marvel's highest rated project. So high praise to their latest thing. Because I know it's been probably a little roller coastery with some of the content that Disney Plus has been putting out because they're putting up so much content. WandaVision for me was more of a miss than it was a hit. I'm not I enjoyed Moon Knight, I enjoyed Falcon, I enjoyed uh, Hawkeye. I enjoyed um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I've enjoyed most of them. I really enjoyed Loki. Um, but I would say that WandaVision probably maybe soured some taste for a few people because it was so odd. Um, but they're saying Miss Marvel, the most recent one, boom, knocked it out of the park. So that's good news. And that, that just kind of affirms what you and I think, that it was, it was, it's awesome television, right? Yep. And then last thing that I'll talk about, which I pulled this link up a little while ago, is this is what is supposed to be coming from Marvel between the big screen and Disney Plus streaming between now and 2023. So there will be a series on Disney Plus called I Am Groot. comes out August 10th. So that should be interesting. 
What I am actually looking forward to, and we've had some mixed feelings on what the trailers are showing us, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which will appear August 17th on uh, Disney+, Plus, which is, you know, two weeks away. Um, supposedly, because she's an attorney, they're going to somehow find a way to shoehorn uh, Matt Murdock into this as well, which will just kind of bring Daredevil into the current MCU. And later on in this list, we'll see that there's going to be a Daredevil season four coming out. Um, Wakanda Forever in theaters, November 11th. Um, I, hopefully you and I can see this together. I was a big fan of the, of the first Black Panther movie. Uh, I'd like to see where, where they take it. I'm looking forward to it. The trailer really looked great. Uh, there's some controversy as far as Disney refusing to recast the role of T'Challa, but we can talk about that on another show because that's a whole topic unto itself, and I can't really do it justice just in this little news Okay. But. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will be coming to Disney Plus in December this year of 2022. That should be interesting. One of the things that we didn't talk about when we talked about Thor, Love, and Thunder was the Guardians of the Galaxy were in there, but they were in the first act that was so comedy-heavy, they were almost a satire of themselves, and they're already a comedic crew to begin with, Right. but they were so underutilized in the bigger scheme of the story. We, we didn't mention it, but we should probably acknowledge that they were there and that we forgot to mention they were there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Gardens of the Galaxy holiday special, December 22. I'm sure it's going to be funny. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania, February 17th, 2023. So obviously we're going to be dealing with something in the quantum realm, which means miniaturization effects and possibly time travel, possibly multiverse type stuff. Who knows what we'll see in the quantum mania, but you'll find out. In theaters, February 17th, 2023. The Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, which is supposedly going to be the last one. May 5th, 2023. That's my birthday month, but not my birthday. So that should be interesting. Um, Secret Invasion comes to Disney Plus in the spring of 2023. Scrolls, Shape-Shifting Aliens introduced in Captain Marvel, are slowly infiltrating Earth. Nick Fury has been in space ever since his end credit tease, and with Secret Invasion planned to be the biggest crossover event since Endgame. So that sounds promising. So spring of 2023, The Marvels, in theaters July 2023. July 28th, 2023, Brie Larson will don the red, blue, and gold of Captain Marvel's sequel, a cosmic team-up with Monica Rambeau after her transformation in WandaVision, and Kamala Khan, Marvel's first Muslim superhero who premiered in her own Disney Plus series. So this is bringing all of that together, which we knew that was where that was going. Miss Marvel, we already established she was a fan of Carol Danvers. She was a fan of Captain of Amer um, Captain Marvel. And Kevin Feige already said, yeah, we're bringing her out on the small screen, but we're going to have her on the big screen. This is where she's going to go. Uh, the Marvels, July 28th, 2023. That's a year from now. Mm -hmm. um, Echo on Disney Plus in the summer of 2023. Spinning off of the Hawkeye miniseries, Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, will star in her own solo series as the deaf assassin who can mimic her target's fighting style. 
Okay. Agatha, Coven of Chaos on Disney Plus Winter of 2023 slash 2024. So Agatha's House of Harkness, that was the villain in WandaVision, right? So she's getting a spinoff show. Uh, Armor Wars on Disney Plus to be announced. It, and uh, it, so James Rode, Don Cheadle will have to step in for Tony Stark to deal with an Iron Man technology falling into the wrong hands. Interesting. Iron Wars. Iron Heart on Disney Plus to be announced. Um, Dominique Thorne will get a solo series that explores her character more fully as well as issues the new generation of Iron Man technology. Her, her name is Riri Williams, who, was, who will be introduced in Wakanda forever. So that's kind of spoiling something that hasn't been spoiled yet. But yeah, in the new Black Panther movie, they're going to tease another character that will become Ironheart, which I believe is the female Iron Man, right? Uh, Loki, yes. Loki Season 2 is coming out on Disney. And Daredevil Season 4 to be announced. So lots of stuff coming down the pike. An untitled Wakanda series will air on Disney Plus to be announced. Spider-Man Freshman Year, an animated show on Disney uh, Plus to be announced. Its next animated Spider-Man cartoon will premiere on Disney Plus, helmed by Jeff Trammell, um, who the Cartoon Network's Craig of the Greek. The series may fill in the gaps between Peter Parker's origins after getting bitten by the radioactive spider and his live-action appearance in Spider-Man Homecoming. So almost a, a backstory there in animation. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. X-Men 97 on Disney+. Plus. They're going to pick up where the animated series ended and try to keep the original animation style and as much of the voice cast as they can. It ran from 1992 to 1997, and Kevin Feige figures out how to best incorporate the X-Men into the MCU. Its first plans is to revamp the Saturday morning X-Men cartoon that ran for five seasons. So uh, I'm hoping they're going to recast a lot of the voice talent if they can. What If Season 2. If you watch What If, you realize that it strongly influenced most of the multiverse stuff that made its way into Spider-Man, into Doctor Strange. So we're going to get another season of that. And Marvel Zombies, which was a graphic novel, right? So there's going to be a uh, to-be-announced on Disney+. Plus. It's going to be featured in an episode of What If. It's going to reimagine a world of zombies. So interesting, interesting thing. A blade in theaters. Is this going to be a reboot? It's going to have to be a reboot. And yes, that's going to be Mahershala Ali, I believe, is in the title role. In an untitled Captain America film. And Fantastic Four. And Nova. <laughs> and Deadpool 3. I mean, there is so much stuff coming out over the next couple of years for Marvel fans. Um, you could argue there's too much. Where, <laughs> But I will take Overkill versus Underserved. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, but yeah, lots of stuff coming down the pike. So looking forward to that. And um, yeah, so it's been a while since we really talked about anything in the news. So this news segment might have went long, but there you go. Making up for lost time. Let me tease some upcoming interviews. One of them's coming sooner than later. As I record this episode right now, it's August 3rd. And in 10 days from now, on August 13th, I'm going to be doing a live interview 
with Glenn Dahlgren, who is an author who we've interviewed twice before on my other show that's called Coco Talk. We got him in because he used to make video games for the color computer. A lot of those games were um, what were known as adventure games, which were kind of like interactive stories that were very popular in the 80s. And he then later on became a game designer and a game director and worked on games for modern PCs and things like that. And he's now getting ready to release his third novel in the young adult category, and they're kind of fantasy novels. And so his third novel is going to be called The House of Prophecy. His first one was called Child of Chaos. Second one was called The Game of War. I have listened to both of those on audio books. Matter of fact, I just listened to Child of Chaos because I had a lot of driving time going to Georgia. So I re-listened to book one. Again, great stories. Even though they call it young adult, I mean, if you think about it, Harry Potter is also in the young adult category and they still deal with some pretty adult themes as far as violence and consequences and things like that they just don't use the vulgar language and they still even kind of describe some pretty bloody violent scenes so young adult doesn't mean a movie made for kids right it's just it's a weird category but the books are great they're great stories and i don't want to spoil anything so we're going to do a live interview with glenn on august 13th on my other show but i'm going to make it a crossover one where um that segment is going to also be used as an episode here for culture goes pop because i want to get really heavy into talking about all of his books less about his old games and more about his his novels so look for that in a couple weeks the glenn dahlgren interview also to be determined, but hopefully sometime in the month of August, I've already been speaking to an author whose name is Philip Hardy. His website is called authorphilhardy.com, um, and he's got two Western novels. One is called Lone Oak, and the second one is called Vengeance is Mine. And um, his first novel is being converted into a screen. It's already been converted into a screenplay, and it's being shopped around. They're kind of um, raising money and stuff right now to have it turn into a feature film. So the interview that we're going to get with them, we're going to interview Phil about writing the book. We're going to interview the scriptwriter who wrote the screenplay. And then we're going to interview the producer who's who's worked on tons of Western movies, including going back to the days of John Wayne. So we're talking about classic Westerns. This guy's worked on the real deals. So it's going to be interesting to be able to talk to people from three different kind of entertainment pillars you know from writing novels to writing screenplays to producing movies and we'll get all three of them together so it should be pretty interesting to to ask them questions uh we're trying to schedule their times because they're in different time zones and things like that so that date is to be determined but to check out phil hardy go to author philhardy.com and if you want to check out um uh, glenn dahlgren stuff you can go to glenn um g-l-e-n dahlgren d-a h-l-g-r-e-n dot home dot blog i'll put links to these in the description of this video too so you can check those out but glenn's going to be an interesting interview i've really enjoyed his books i can't wait to hear about the third one so look forward to those interviews in the coming weeks and months uh and that's all i have to say about that parting thoughts final thoughts scott wilson final thoughts parting thoughts if you haven't seen robocop remedy that immediately also, if you haven't seen a lot of 70s cinema, you need to remedy that immediately. <laughs> That's my final thoughts for this week. All right. Well, it's good to be back here in the internet studio with you, Scott, live via Zoom. <laughs> good to have you back. <laughs> and let's do this again real soon. 
And thanks for listening, everybody. Check us out on the web, culturegoespop.com. Send us an email to show at culturegoespop.com. Listen to us on podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Look for Culture Goes Pop. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.